Hello all, and welcome to Brewing with Jim, hosted by Jim Brewington. Jim is a pastor and a teacher, and has served in these roles for the past 45 years. He has worked in small churches and megachurches, primarily as a teacher serving both the hearing and the deaf population. We have surveyed the students here at CVCS and do our best to create a genuine conversation around the talking points the students want to know most about. Thank you all for listening and taking time to brew on Life's Questions with Jim. Hi everybody, welcome to Brewing with Jim. I am your producer, Grady Sanchez, and today, and as always, we have Jim. How you doing, Jim? As always. Hello everybody, it's good to be with you. Thank you all for listening to the show. If you would like to interact with us, please send us email an email at brewingwithjim at gmail.com. We look forward to your insight, and we are so thankful for your listenership and for your interactions. Today, we get a follow-up question with Jim, because he often talks about his throwaway prayers. Jim, can you define what a throwaway <laughs> prayer is? Yeah, I think it's a bad name. It's just one I made up one time. Um, throw, throwaway prayers for me, are just uh, very short sentences, chats with God as he walks with me through the day, as I walk with him through the day. Uh, it, it may be one sentence, and I pray it, say it, utter it to him, and then forget about it. Mm. Okay, okay, because I, that's what I had a feeling they were, and so I was trying to understand what they, what they were going through, and um, yeah, so as, as you have mentioned the definition, I'm, I'm thinking of my own, like every night, I have been trying to be more diligent about my me working out in the morning. And so I try to get up at five and work out. And so every night before I go to bed, I was just, Lord, please get me up on time. And that's, that's it. And that's it. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You don't have to get on your knees and King James it for 30 <laughs> minutes. Oh, oh, most uh, uh, omnipotent potentate of the universe. I beseech thee to walk with me to No, I don't. That's not how I talk to God. Yeah. Uh, I talk to him as a friend. Mm. He is he is the omnipotent potentate of the universe, mm-hmm. but he's also my divine buddy who walks with me and <laughs> rides right. in my car and helps me find a parking space. Yeah. And so far so far this year all of those prayers have come through. I've got my workout in. I'm very happy. It sets my day right. So Lord, thank you for giving me that discipline. Um, speaking of Lord, the Lord answering my prayer every morning. Has the Lord ever answered a throwaway prayer for you? Many. Oh, many. But I have, if you'll allow me to go through this, uh, the report of this incident of a throwaway prayer. Yes, please. Uh, it may take a little bit of time to do this, but uh, one of the memorable times he has answered that prayer is stellar. Mm-hmm. And uh, here's the deal. Um, when I grew up, I need to give you some background and then I'm going to give you something that happened in my life, and then I'm going to tell you about the throwaway prayer and what the result of that was. Mm-hmm. Okay. I grew up um, during Jim Crow laws. Jim Crow was an animated, fictional minstrel, who, a cartoon character, essentially, who was associated with the laws at the time, and I'm talking about in the 1960s and before, mm-hmm. that really required segregation. The of, civil rights era. It was before civil That's rights. Right, before. It was before yeah. civil rights. And I grew up uh, knowing nothing else. I grew up with uh, in a city 
and the whole country was sort of like this, where black people had their own high schools. Mm -hmm. They had their own um, part of town. Mm -hmm. They had uh, certain jobs that they had that were seemed to be specifically for them. Mm -hmm. When I was little, um, we went to department stores and there were two water fountains, colored and white. Mm -hmm. There were restrooms that were colored and white. And I wondered, uh, as a kid, even in high school, why are they so different? Uh, we had uh, gardeners who come uh, to our house and mow the yard and do the gardening and that kind of thing. And it was a black man and his wife. And they came one day with their little boy. I guess he was, he was about my age, 9, 10, 11 years old. And I went outside to play with him uh, because he wasn't really participating in the activity in the, in the gardening. And my dad came out of the house and took me by the hand and brought me back into the house. And he said, you can't play with him. I have a business in this town. Uh, oh. And I said, can I play with him in the backyard? No. No, you cannot play with him. That is the way I grew up. And I had that deep within me that there's something that I can't relate to these people. I can't, that they're, they're so different. Okay, here I am in college. I'm kind of thinking the same thing. I don't think about it, but I know of this segregation. And then the civil rights movement came along. And before the civil rights movement, I went to officer candidate school, Navy officer candidate school in Newport, Rhode Island. And I, we were assigned roommates. It was a dorm kind of a situation. We were assigned roommates and there were two black candidates in our class, uh, officer candidate school. And one of the uh, officers in the Navy came to me and he said, would you have any problem having a black roommate? And I said, no, not at all. He said, well, many of the candidates do. That was the culture and situation of the time. And so they changed roommates, I don't know why, but every few weeks or so in the school. And uh, I ended up having two black roommates and they became very good friends. And I uh, was beginning to think and process even more my thoughts about why are they so different and why are we like this? What's wrong with what's going on with us? Okay, fast forward, fast, fast forward. Uh, Vietnam is almost over. The Cambodian boat people are coming into San Pedro, which is a harbor in, in California. And there were two men of the Cambodian uh, boat people deaf. And they uh, got off the boat and there was something very different about them. They not only had no language, they had no concept of language. They knew that two people were standing looking at each other with their mouth moving, but they didn't have any idea there was a thought moving from one mind to another. And a couple of linguists discovered that this was going on and took them, spent a year and a half just demonstrating to them that it is possible to communicate between two people, either manually with sign language, they had, but they knew no sign language. They had no language. They wrote, the two linguists wrote a book, and I read the book, and I was stunned by what I read. And I was fascinated by it, uh, because I'm kind of a language guy. Yeah. Anyway, if that's a type of guy. And then 
in April, April 7th of 1994, the massacre in Rwanda started. Rwanda, uh, as you know, is an equatorial East African country that is populated primarily by three tribes, the Hutus, the Tutsis, and the Twa. They have, for generations, each generation, been engaged in killing each other, the, mostly the Hutus and the Tutsis. The Tutsis decided, um, well, I don't want to get into the details and the political reasons for all of this because it's not the point, but I decided because of that massacre that went on for those months that I wanted to go to Rwanda and there was a missionary group that was going. I went. I went with them. I wanted to find deaf students, deaf orphans, because there were thousands and thousands between, uh, well, the government in Rwanda estimates that there were one million people killed. It was probably less. Other assessments are 500,000 to 800,000 people killed. The result is that many, many of those adults left, left died, left children, and they are orphans. And they put them into compounds, camps. They didn't have enough orphanages. There were so many people killed that they didn't have any way to bury all of those bodies, and so they put them into dump trucks, and the dump trucks would back up to ravines. I did go to Rwanda. I wanted to find deaf orphans and see if there was anybody who had no idea what language is and then see if there was somebody with no language. That was my mission, to go, and because I was already fluent, sort of, in American Sign Language and my interest in the deaf and the hard of hearing. When I went there, there were so many deaf, uh, dead people lying around in the fields. I stood in the killing fields with the bodies lying around me on the ground. I stood there and wondered what would cause this kind of hatred? What would cause this to happen? Politically, I now know, because I've studied the war or the massacre there. Well, on the plane, on the way over there, uh, first flight was L.A. to Heathrow, which is like being in heaven. You're, you're in the sky forever. <laughs> and uh, on the way, from, then we went from Heathrow to Ni uh, Nairobi. And from Nairobi, we had to take a bus into Rwanda, Kigali, and some of those places. It was a 26-hour trip. But from London to Nairobi, I had a window seat, my head was lying against the frame of the window. I was kind of looking outside, kind of thinking about things. And I said, God, give me a love for these people. That was my throwaway prayer. And I didn't think much about it after that. When I landed in, when we arrived in Rwanda, and I went to the killing fields, and I saw these people, Everything that I had grown up with, all those cultural values, all the uh, wonderings of the differences, the pushing away because they are different that was in my mind, it was all gone. It was gone. And I am not colorblind. I can see the difference in the skin tones of different people, but I am now color apathetic. 
it doesn't matter to me. And that was not my power, that was King Jesus. That was his power that changed my life like that. When I got there, we found a compound with many, many orphans. There were two who were deaf. A little boy who I guess was about nine years old, I'm sure he didn't know himself, and a little girl who was probably seven. The little girl who was seven had no concept of language, just like the two Cambodian boat men that came in. The little boy had a concept of language, but he didn't have a language. He knew no sign language, he knew no spoken language, and I sat down with him and I started to point to different objects that could be, or tangible objects, things he could see. And I would show them the sign for each one of those. And his mind opened up like it had never opened up before. Now I have a sign that I can relate to this table and this chair. Well, I went back to the place where our group was staying. It was food for the hungry house. And there was a table copy of the Jungle Book. And inside was a large book with pictures were all the animals that he would recognize because they're indigenous to Rwanda. I took the book back to the compound the next day, sat down with him, opened the book, and I pointed to each animal and showed him the sign for those animals. And his, he laughed, he giggled that he could understand how he could convey this now to somebody else, to me, if they know this language. But now he's beginning to get the grasp of the language. They ate lunch uh, in a big room. We'd call it a mess hall, but it was just a big room uh, without windows, but it, the doors were wide open, and sometimes there wasn't even windows around. Nevertheless, they had a little porridge kind of a substance that was in a plastic bowl. And I went in there. He was among probably two, 300 kids. He was way over there on the other side. And there was a picture on the wall, the picture of Jesus. Now, it's the picture everybody's probably already seen. It's the one with the long hair. And, and by the way, Jesus never had long hair because he was an Orthodox rabbi Jew who in the book of Leviticus prohibits long hair on rabbis. But anyway, um, I, I looked at that picture. I got his attention. I pointed to him. Then I pointed to the picture, and I signed, loves you, to him. He didn't understand love, the sign for love. That's not tangible. I can't say it. So I went over to him. And I pointed to the picture of Jesus, and I hugged him. And that's the simplest I have ever preached the gospel. Now, what he and the Holy Spirit did with that, I don't know. I wish I knew. But I had a love for him that was not the power of prayer. It was the power of Jesus. Oh, by the way, there's a cliche, the power of prayer. I don't believe in the power of prayer. I don't like that. I believe in the efficaciousness of prayer. The efficaciousness of prayer. I like that to not the knowledge that prayer is effective with people, but the power is in Jesus. It's not in the prayer. The power isn't in something I do. The power is in Him. Nevertheless, that was all parenthetical. I don't know what happened to him. I know that when we left, 
we had a van, and he brought a friend with him by hand to the van, and he pointed to the friend, and he pointed to himself, and he pointed to the van. And I knew that meant I want to go home with you. And I couldn't do it. And I haven't seen him since. And it's been 30 years. So what is he? 40, 45 years old? I don't know. I want to meet him someday. And I hope I do. But I don't know where he is. When we were there, just to expand on what God did about giving me uh, his power to manifest love, I sat down on the ground and a bunch, uh, 20, 20, 30 of these little children came around me and they don't smell good. They smell bad because there's nothing to bathe with there except a, a bucket of some water they can kind of pat themselves down with. They smell bad and they came around me and I didn't care what they smelled like. No, it didn't bother me at all. Now, I happen to be blessed with an icky poo factor of uh, it's pretty high because I can vomit and changing adult diapers. I've done all that. It's not my idea of a good time, but it's not horrible. I can do it, and I can do it. Uh, I can do it. So all these kids come around me. They had never touched Caucasian hair before. They had never seen Caucasian hair, I think. And one of them asked, if they could put their hand in my hair, on my head. And I said, yes, they just took his hand and put it up there. And then all, of, not all of them, many of them, and I have pretty good amount of hair on my arms, and they started to rub up and down my arms and giggle and laugh. Later, one of the other pastors who was with me said, how could you do that? They smell terrible. I said, I don't know. It didn't bother me. I didn't care. All of that was a result of God give me a love for these people. It was a throwaway prayer. It was, a, it was just nothing formal, uh, just a small chat with God about something. It was a request. It was a prayer petition. But he gave me that, and it has stayed with me forevermore. I have no thoughts about... Um, rejecting, pushing away, not understanding somebody because of their race. And that's true with all races. I, they're in my life, and they're welcome in my life. They're welcome in my home. They're welcome in my friendships. Uh, and that was the opposite of, you can't play with him. Come inside. I have a business in this town. So there's my answer to throwaway prayer. And that, that one example is probably enough right for now oh yeah there's, there's a, a lot to unpack and how i mean we're recording this february 1st so it's it's black history month but it's so much it's so much larger than that it's, it is it's just, we didn't plan that it's, no it's just the it's just the every day of being just somebody who is christ-like in love and so one of the things that i thought was remarkable is the idea that jesus wants the kids running to him and oh, you're right. I a, didn't think about that. As you have the imagery of um, s small Rwandan children running towards you, that is like what the Bible is 
exemplifying in that nature and it's just like so ironic that the the pastor is <laughs> just like how could you do that well it's because that's what jesus wants how could you not do that you're the pastor that and that's so, making me emotional because i had never thought about that before as suffer the little children to come under me uh, and that is the kingdom of heaven it's it's all shapes sizes it's it's love jesus and accept him, and this is what it's going to look like in the future. These are kids who've lost their parents, and they're giggling because they're touching hair on my head. They're gathering around. They're seeing the pictures in the book. They don't really understand why I'm signing to this one little boy. But, that you know, I went to, we went to churches there, and the churches, a couple of the church services, uh, in a building that is mostly... Uh, tin roof and uh, and walls, bullet holes in them, and uh, lots and lots of evidence of the massacre that has been going on. They talk about forgiveness, and we preach about forgiveness here in Southern California and probably everywhere. When an example of forgiving somebody in Southern California is somebody who has cut you off on the freeway. In Rwanda, then, it was forgive your neighbor for killing your children. Whoa, that's an entirely different concept of forgiveness. So I learned those things when I was there. And, but most of all, just the tiny prayer, just the chat with Jesus. Of course he's going to answer, give me love. That's the whole idea, is to have the love. The way I grew up. There was no opportunity for love. I didn't even consider love of anybody who was black, African-American, because it was forbidden. We had three high schools. Uh, two of them were for white people, and, and then there was Dunbar High School, which was for the blacks, and never mixed anywhere. Never, never mixed. Even on the, you remember Rosa Parks? The blacks had to sit in the back of the bus. Rosa Parks decided she was going to, she was black, she was going to sit in the front of the bus, and she was told to move, and she didn't. And that was the impetus, one of them, for the civil rights movement. Mm -hmm. There is, I'm told, a statue of Rosa Parks in Washington, D.C., and all she did was sit down and not move. So a lot has happened, you're right. Yeah, and I'm just constantly reminded of what heaven is going to look like. It's going to be well, I don't know what I'm going to be like, but I know I'm going to be like him. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, right. That's in the book. And, and so I guess I get to be 33 years old again. <laughs> I don't know if that's true. I don't true. know. I don't, Theologically I don't know what, sketchy. I don't know what being 33 is like. Because as you were reflecting on your time in Rwanda being in 1994, that's when I was born. So I, I know little to, to nothing other than I think there was a movie, Hotel Rwanda. And that is my one connection to this occurrence and like the importance of just taking a small prayer, taking something that is, I think, genuinely coming from the heart in need of that time. It's not this lofty, thought out, big King James it, as you will. It's this <laughs> just simple cry. And there's one time in my life where, I many, but there's one specific time where I was going through some hard stuff and it was just like, God help me. And that's the only words I can ever get out. But he knows the heart. I think he's not listening to the words. 
Uh, yeah, he's and listening to your heart. He knows it already. He, he already knows it already, and that's that's the prayer. That's giving it up to him, letting him just relieve me of the burdens and taking it upon himself. And that's that's the grace and the beauty of Jesus. And in those those little throwaway prayers, I think those are almost the most heartfelt. I think those are the ones that that get down to the core. They don't they don't have they don't have to beat around the bush or go. They just go straight to the point and get right after what the heart they wants. They do, and they're the most relational. Yeah. Because when I'm with they're friends, true. we don't talk all the time. Yeah. But we may just a comment here, a comment there. Um, I think guys relate that way more than um, yeah. than girls. But um, we don't have to talk, and then we do. He's with me all the time. I, you and I know mm-hmm. that as we walk into this studio, every time we have recorded an episode. We've prayed, mm-hmm. and uh, we don't close our eyes. We don't uh, bow our heads. We just come on in here with us, Holy Spirit. Make this happen in the way that you want it to happen. Mm-hmm. Give me the right words, and so forth. Uh, and then we're done. And then we sit down, push the button, and talk to each other. Yeah. So those kinds of prayers, I think, are um, very, very relational mm-hmm. and important. We don't have to ask him for uh, things. He knows already what we want. Mm -hmm. Why do we even utter it? Because it's relational Mm -hmm. and it's a recognition of his presence in our lives, of his provision, of his healing. Uh, That's a form of worship. Prayer is a form of worship. Mm -hmm. He's not a genie where we just uh, ask for for something. uh Yeah, we're supposed to pray unceasingly, but some people ask unceasingly. Uh, there's a request unceasingly. You and I were talking just a few minutes ago about uh, praying, uh, praying the problem and not the solution. Uh, we're off topic here, but it's an important topic. When I have an issue, uh, I'll pray the problem. I know some people pray the solution. Even some pulpits have said, pray the solution. But I think micromanaging God is not something that I need to be spending my time with. His list, his reservoir of solutions is so far beyond what I can imagine. Mm-hmm. Let him decide how he's going to respond to the prayer. Mm. Yeah, so those, those little moments with God, those little, those little prayers, they, they aren't meaningless. And we're, we're here saying, Keep doing it. Build Please. that relationship. And in those moments, you're going to see more prayers answered than ever before. And, and just building that relationship and knowing Christ is just so much more beautiful. The so, prayers will be answered. What I really want is a recognizable answer, mm-hmm. not necessarily a yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's either going to be yes, no, or not yet, or not now. Yeah. And uh, I would like to hear, have a recognizable answer. It's just my selfishness, mm-hmm. but please answer me in a way that I know that it's you and this is your answer. Well, Jim, thank you so much for the insight. Thank you for bringing some some context into the world view of, of a, a biblical mindset, but also understanding that there's so much more to just this, uh, our South Orange County bubble. That there's so much further than just thank goodness uh, <laughs> Irvine and Fullerton and <laughs> San Juan Capistrano. There's so much more out there, and that God is working in in people like you and people in in your past and people like us, and just having our voices and knowing that the little prayers, those little things, bring it to God. He is there and ever powerful. And um, just reminder to the listeners that I hope this is a great reminder of those moments. I do too. I do too. I'm thankful. 
that we have this podcast, that we have this forum, that we have the listeners that we have. Uh, I am uh, petitioning that we would have more listeners, more and more and more. You can't have too many. But my prayer is that what we say here and what we uh, express will change the lives. And it's not our words that change the lives. Mm -hmm. It's God. Absolutely. Thank you all for listening to today's show. Please interact with us at brewingwithjim at gmail.com. We enjoy talking with you. We enjoy working with you. And please uh, continue to listen. And we'll have some more great content coming up. Thank you all, and have a wonderful rest of your day. Bye, everybody. The topics covered and answers offered in Brewing with Jim mine the wisdom attained from a life of pastoral ministry and care. They do not constitute professional or clinical training or expertise in the areas of counseling or mental health. CVCS and its podcast network want to provide a platform for the discipleship of our community. Brewing with Jim is our attempt to foster that environment in a format that is accessible and open for all to partake in. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed are the speaker's own and may or may not represent the views, thoughts, and opinions of Capistrano Valley Christian Schools or its faculty. The material and information presented here are for general information purposes only. This episode has been a production of the Capistrano Valley Christian Schools Podcast Network. Capistrano Valley Christian Schools is a Christian JK-12 school in San Juan Capistrano, California. Be sure to check out, subscribe to, and leave a review of this show and the other shows on our network on your podcast player of choice. Doing so supports the school community in a multitude of ways. For more information about the CVCS Podcast Network or any of our other shows, check out cvcs.org or email podcasts at cvcs.org. On behalf of the whole network, this is Mr. Jasper saying thank you again for listening and stay tuned for more.